0: Welcome to Hickory Grove Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Michael McEwen, and I am pastor of Hickory Grove in Trenton, Tennessee. In today's sermon, which is titled, Scarecrows, Tin Men, and Lions, A Time to Embrace, we attempt to understand how we are a people embraced by the triune God, but also a people called to embrace others. And so we look at Ecclesiastes 3, 5 and also Mark 3, the first six or seven verses to understand how Jesus embraces this man with the withered hand and the very simple instructions he gives to him come here and how this teaches us to be a people of embrace no matter who we're dealing with, who we are encountering, what situations we might be in. That God, He desires for us to live out His redemptive mission of embrace, but also empathy. So I hope you enjoy as we discover to be an empathetic people and also a people of embrace. We'll be there this morning. Let me share this brief 30 second little story. Uh, Some of you know this. Some of you might not. We found out about a month ago that Jade is uh, related to the Elliot's. Um, And I mean that's probably not anything new. If we could trace back far enough we're probably all related to the Elliot's at some point. At the same time there's not just a semi-close relationship. It is very close. Uh, second, third, maybe fourth cousins with many Elliots in this community. And uh, it just threw us completely off guard. And so um, earlier I mistaken uh, James for David. And so I said, good morning, David. He said, no, nope, James. I said, I'm going to get this right, I promise you, especially considering your family now. Um, and then at the time of greeting back here, he had Butch on one side, Dave on the other, and he said, all right, what are our names? <laughs> you, can't, you can't do that. <laughs> so now, evidently, it's uh, out of love that you're doing this, hopefully, James. If you have found your spot at Ecclesiastes 3, would you please stand for the reading of Christ's Word? We'll be reading verses 1 through 5 here this morning. For everything there is a season... and a time to refrain from embracing. Let's pray. Again, Father, we thank you for the reminder that we gather to worship you. We cannot approach you without the blood of your Son. And so, Lord, we give thanks for his offering because it was perfect. And we can come to you as our Father because of your Son and as your children. And so, Lord, I ask now that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds to receive your word this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. If you glance at today's bulletin, the title of this sermon, I'm going to edit it slightly. The title is Scarecrows, Tin Men, and Lions a time to embrace. I want to stop right there, a time to embrace, because I have in the sermon title that I sent to Miss Jenny a Thursday night and I tweaked and made some slight changes on Friday. Um, I'll I'll deal with a a time to refrain from embracing next week, but I wanted to pause right there for a time to embrace. So we'll be looking at the first part of that, verse 5, the scripture that was read a minute ago. If you go back far enough, you... We'll read about this story of Julian, fourth century Roman emperor. Uh, Julian the Apostate, as he's known. You have Christianity greatly flourishing in the early 300s, first 300 years uh, after Christ's death. But then here rises this emperor named Julian. And what you notice quickly about Julian is that he is no friend of the Christian faith. In fact, He greatly hates it, greatly detests it. He does a number of things uh, to make sure that the Christians know very well that he is against them. And we have this letter from Julian to another friend. Julian, I won't read the entirety of the letter, but he, he gives how the Roman people are not so great at helping their own their own Roman people. And then he goes on to speak about the Christians. And the term he gives them is these impious Galileans. They're Galileans because they're related to, in some spiritual sense, to the Jesus of Galilee. And what he says is these impious Galileans, they don't just take care of their own, but they take care of ours as well. And then he goes on to say that we need to make sure that our Roman people who are not Christians take better care of our own people because the Christians are showing us up. What a beautiful letter from somebody who hates the Christians. Is that he sees that there is an issue of how the Christians embrace the sick, the poor, the hungry, the tired better than their own people the Romans. And he's trying to give them this power to say we want to be better than that. And the Christians have set the standard. Once it comes to embrace we realize that it is very difficult, isn't it, to embrace somebody? Very difficult task. But we also understand that embrace is so fundamental to our everyday life. I mean think of the last time you embraced somebody. I mean actually hugged them. could have been a spouse, could have been a child, it could have been a a friend. But the embrace is so fundamental what it means to be human, to be able to touch another human being and remind them that they too are human. So closeness obviously is very necessary once it comes to embrace. We must get close to people to be able to embrace them. And one thing that we have, at least a reminder from Scripture, is that He, God, is a God of embrace. And He reminds His people that He will be near to them no matter their circumstances or situations. That is the God of embrace that we serve and worship this morning. At the same time, God invites His people, His church, to be near and to be close and to embrace those removed or maybe even ostracized from society. And here I have in mind the poor, the foreigner, the hurting, the disabled, the young, the elderly, the sinner, the saint. All people, at least the instruction is from Jesus, are to be embraced. Because we have the two great commandments that Jesus refers to them as. What is the greatest? Jesus asked the, the scribe well, to love the Lord your God with all of who you are, your mind, soul, strength, every bit of who you are. But Jesus asked, well, what is the other? What's like that when it's you shall love your neighbor as yourself? So you have this vertical dimension that you are to love God with all of who you are. But secondly, you are to love the horizontal, your neighbor, the people that live beside you down the street from you, the people who don't look anything like you, are to embrace and love them. Yet, our hearts, our heads, and even fear can get in the way of embrace. We talked about the, this morning in Sunday school. Consider, for example, your own experiences where you've done this, where you've tried to reason yourself out of embracing a stranger. When we lived in Raleigh, the homeless were everywhere. When you pulled up, uh, off of the interstate, and you were coming up, and you had to yield and look for traffic. It seemed to be that the homeless stayed in one area so that they could receive water, uh, money, food of some sort. And so Jade and I got into a habit of actually keeping a waters, a set of waters behind us, so that at any point we could pull out a water and hand it if we saw somebody. But it took some time in order to think creatively of, about that. But I didn't know this individual. Yet the Christian call is one of embrace. Or maybe you sometimes lack empathy for those you are to embrace. I think we can all confess of that. Well, we know that we're supposed to love this person, but ah, empathy is just not there. Or maybe we are afraid. I think this is the most common, at least for me in my own experiences, is that I'm fear full of embracing somebody that I don't know because I don't trust them. I don't know who they are. see how that happens? We just bring out this fear inside of us and it almost paralyzes us from embrace. We all have, we could say, a little bit of the scarecrow. You remember the scarecrow lacked a what? It lacked a brain. We all have a little bit of the tin man in us what is it the tin man needed? A heart. A heart. Thank you. And then he also have a little bit of the lion in us. What did he lack? Courage. courage. He was fearful. He was all talk, but when it came down to it, he wasn't ready for that courage to live out what it was. We all have a little bit of the scarecrow, tin man, and lion in us. This morning I want to focus... Of course, we look at Ecclesiastes 3, 5, but I want to focus on one particular passage in Mark, Mark 3, verses 1 through 6, which get this great narrative of embrace in which Jesus comes before a number of people in the synagogue. Think of the synagogue as nothing more than an ancient church, the Jewish church, so to speak. And so Jesus is here teaching in the synagogue And he is there with so many people surrounding him. And that's where we'll pick up with Mark 3 and I'll read the first six verses. Mark writes, Again, he, Jesus, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus, they being the Pharisees, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill it? But they were silent. And he looked around to them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand, and it was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Look at the first couple of verses. He enters, Jesus enters into this synagogue, and he also notices another man, a man with a withered hand, and then you notice the Pharisees watching Jesus. According to Jewish law, it's something so important that we don't get from Mark's gospel, but if we understood the entirety of the Old Testament leading up into this point we would understand that the Jewish law is that this man with a withered hand is a social outcast. He's somebody that's not supposed to be around people too closely. He's to be kept at a distance. Now, we don't know quite reason why his hand is withered. Scholars can put pretty much three uh, uh, conclusions why. One, his hand could have been disease-ridden of some sort. It could be leprous, as in leprosy, or it could have been malformed from birth. Based off what we know from the passage and the language that's used in the Greek, it could be either the first or second. It's disease-ridden or it's leprous. But the Jewish law would have prevented him from interacting with people on a social and daily basis. You kept a distance from this man because he was considered, according to their law, unclean. That would have been the label given to him, unclean. Now you need to understand three labels according to Jewish law, holy, clean, and unclean. He fit into the latter category, unclean. And there was, in fact, a a lot of events that he couldn't go to. There were a lot of things that he couldn't participate in because of his withered hand. And one of them was worship. He would not be allowed to go into the temple and offer sacrifices because of his status as unclean. Because you have to at least be clean, move from unclean to clean. You have to at least be clean in order to offer a sacrifice. That's the status you had to be at. He could not offer any sacrifice for forgiveness. He could not offer any sacrifice for guilt. Any sacrifice for any of those things because of his status due to his withered hand. And also the teaching of the Jewish law. We need to understand that the law itself that is given to Moses and then Moses passes to the people, it is good. It is good. There's this misunderstanding in the church that the law itself is bad. I will clarify what I mean by that here in a second. But we misunderstand that the law, the teachings of God are... Bad. It is a good gift. We see this time and time again in which God gives the instructions to Moses and other leaders within Israel, and they're meant to be handed over to the other people. It's a good gift. The instruction reminds us of one, who God is, it reminds us also what is good, what is beautiful, and what is true. And lastly, the instructions of God remind us how to live out His holy life. We imitate Him. Those are all good things, church. And if you want to uh, sort of meditate on this and to read a little bit more about this, read Psalms 19 and 119 this afternoon where again we're instructed that the law of the Lord is good, it is righteous, it is pure, it is clean, it is holy. There's nothing negative about that. Now, Let me clarify what I mean about the law being good. It is so beneficial for us to hear the law, to to understand what the instructions are, to teach them to others. The law does not equal legalism. Legalism is completely different from the instructions of God, the law itself. Legalism, if I could define it, is man-made manipulation of God's law. It has God's law in mind, but it's twisted and distorted and bent to say something that God's law doesn't say at all. And the Pharisees were good at legalism. We find that in too many examples in the New Testament. And Jesus continues to interact with them, reminding them, you are a people of God's instructions, and yet you bind the people of Israel with Yoke that they cannot carry. it is burdensome. The problem with the Pharisees is not the law. The problem with the Pharisees is the twisting and manipulation of God's law, distorting it, and then oppressing a people with it. So he condemns them often often for manipulating and twisting God's good law. and they've continued to bend and twist the scriptures to oppress the very people that they are meant to serve. So the issue here in Mark 3 isn't really about a hand. It's not really about somebody's hand. The Pharisees are on this selfish and ambitious quest to catch Jesus in supposedly not keeping God's law. And we have this in these verses. It's so ironic that... Here you have a bunch of people twisting the law and they're trying to catch somebody who's supposedly twisting the law. So much irony caught in there. So the Pharisees are literally always continuously following Jesus to keep a running tab of all of these accusations and offenses that they can come up with. We can do the same thing, church. We can. We're good at keeping... A record of people's wrongs. We have this same heart at times where we can keep a record of somebody's wrongs to the point that they pile up. And we're no better than a modern day Pharisee. And where we keep a record instead of actually live out a gospel of good grace. But here you have the Pharisees watching from a distance what's about to happen. Jesus walks in. They notice the man with the withered hand. Yet the Pharisees are back against the wall watching this encounter, and they're not close to anyone. If you read the Gospel accounts, it's rare that the Pharisees actually embrace people. They keep a physical distance from people. They keep a spiritual distance, and they also keep an emotional distance from the people that are meant to serve. So look at verse 3. Mark says, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. We tell children all the time, come here, don't we? Sometimes it's not so good, come here. Right? Sometimes it is a very positive, and sometimes it's a very embracing, come here. Come here, baby. They're hurt. Come here. It's that nearness that Jesus is inviting this man with the withered hand to. Come here. Be present. Be beside. Be with me. I'm not going to cry. It makes you wonder when the last time this man heard that. He's a social outcast. Marginalized person who is not supposed to participate in any life of worship, not supposed to participate in any life with Israel, and he's told, Come here, come near. You no know, talent, church. Last time he heard those words, it's usually stay away, don't touch me. I don't want to be unclean, too. And he says, Come here. he probably didn't know how to respond because he was afraid himself of spreading the uncleanness to others around him. And if you read the laws of of Leviticus, once you were considered clean, let's say his disease went away, what would happen is that you would have to go through a set of uh, movements with... This hand, Let's say it's no longer unclean, that it's clean. The priest would come and check your hand and say, yes, there's no uh, deformity, there's nothing there on your skin, so you're clean. What he would then or she would have to do is, once the priest pronounced them as clean, they would still have to stay outside of the life of Israel for seven days just to confirm and make sure that he or she was indeed clean. Then the priest would come back seven days later, and he would give another final order. Well, it is clean. So now you can be welcomed back into the life of Israel. Yet Jesus gives him those very words to come near. Come here. And look at verse 4. We run over this one quickly when we read it. Notice Jesus says, And he said to them, He's not speaking to the man with the withered hand. He's speaking to the Pharisees. So we can imagine this situation where this man comes near. He's looking at Jesus. Jesus is looking at this man. And he says to them. Not looking away from the man with the withered hand. But he's speaking loud enough for the Pharisees to hear this. And here's what he asked the Pharisees. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life? Or to kill? Here you have this... Jesus offering empathy, but also embrace. And here are the Pharisees when they're asked this question, Mark tells us, and they were silent. They had nothing to say. They were scared to answer because the Pharisees might be put to public shame themselves. If they were to answer wrong, well, now they have to go before the Sadducees and the Pharisees board and say well you were twisting scripture so they remain silent about what to say in response to Jesus and here Mark gives us this inside picture of the emotions of Jesus in verse 5 and he looked around at them with anger why? because he was grieved at the hardness of their heart and Jesus said show me your hand Stretch it out, and Mark records, and it was restored. Now, the Greek here can be either restored or reinstated. I like both because what we have here is that Jesus restores a hand, but he also reinstates a leper to the community of Israel. He reinstates him socially, he reinstates him physically reinstates him spiritually. Now he can go offer sacrifices. He can worship Yahweh, but he can also have this likely emotional reinstatement. Can you imagine the wear on somebody's emotions psychologically if they're completely pushed away from a society for so long? The emotions are probably a wreck in utter chaos. Yet, because of Christ, in His showing of empathy, He embraced someone we would not likely never be near to. Let me say it again. Because of Christ, He shows empathy and embrace to someone we would likely never be near to. And empathy, if you just do a breakdown of the word itself, it means to have with feelings or with passions. Embrace, it means to be with arms. Of somebody. I would even submit this morning, church, that empathy itself is a gift from God Himself. That embrace is an ability to embrace those supernaturally. It is a gift from God himself to be able to empathize with those who are hurting, but also to embrace those who we would likely never embrace. Those are gifts of God. So to have Jesus' feelings through his spirit, we have those, church. But also the ability to embrace, that is given also to us by his spirit. Because Jesus' gifts his people, his church, the expression of empathy and also giving us the ability to embrace those he desires for us to embrace. All given through the work of the Spirit. A hundred dollar theology word that we were taught in, in seminary is sanctification. Don't get caught up in it. Sanctification is simply that the Spirit is making us into the image and likeness of Christ. Every single day as we lean into the Spirit, the Spirit moves in us and He makes us into the image and likeness of Christ. So the Spirit gives us new hearts like Jesus. He gives us new minds like Jesus. He gives us this newfound courage like Jesus. And we only looked at one person this morning, a man with a withered hand, which made him a complete social outcast. We didn't talk about anybody with emotional, physical, or some sort of psychological pain. We didn't discuss anyone who is physically sick. We didn't look at anyone who is a foreigner or alien or even elderly or maybe even the worst of sinners. And yet, church, the invitation is the same for them as it is for the man with the withered hand. How is Christ stirring up our hearts and stirring up our heads to have an empathy that leads to embrace of those who need to experience the tangible love of Christ.